ready for the interview And if you get a cue live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo, let's have a combo Say what you feel, be real That's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD, hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global A home for the locals Gotta be social Network global A home for the locals So, Laura, talk to me a little bit about, you were talking about the history of telehealth, and we'll jump into that right there. Sure. Let's talk about it. So, several years ago, you may remember, uh, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 5 to 10 years ago, there were these, or 15, there were these online pharmacies where you could go online and you could buy pills, but you really had no idea where they were coming from. You had no idea when they would show up. You know, it might be two months later, you get a package in the mail. You didn't really know what you were consuming, where it was made, what the quality was. And, and, um, and I think a lot of that was probably not um, compliant with the laws in the U.S. And so I think modern telemedicine or telehealth kind of fell in on the heels of that. And so we had some um, preconceived notions that where the tone had been set by some of those experiences. And we really had to work against that as an industry. And so in the, within the last 10 years, but especially within, I think the last six or seven, all kinds of life online, you bank online, you bank through apps. Now, like when was the last time you physically went to the bank? It was probably a really long time ago. We do groceries online. You can shop for anything online. You can update your car insurance online. You can date online. You can take college online. You can do everything completely virtual. And within the last 10 years, you know, life has really moved in that direction. And um, healthcare has been the same, but it's also, it's very intimate. It's very, um, you're divulging these things about yourself to um, physicians that you would otherwise develop this therapeutic relationship with in person. And so I do think that's part of the reason, in addition to the laws and the regulations and the statutes and physician licensure, it's just taken a little bit longer, I think, to catch up to every other major industry in the United States. So I think um, in times of scarcity, people look for creative solutions to the problem that they have. And prior to COVID, I noticed that in times like traveling, vacationing, like if people were out of their element, if they were out of town, or I don't know if you remember, but prior to COVID, we had really bad flu epidemics every year where the ERs were full, the um, urgent cares were full, people would go wait six hours and leave because they couldn't be seen. And so I found that that those types of instances really drove people to telehealth because they're looking for a solution. And where do you go when you need a solution? You go to the internet and you start Google searching. And so I think those periods of time where people have gone to the internet looking for healthcare over time built up momentum. And I think the probably the 18 to 24 months prior to COVID, the ball was starting to kind of roll down the hill already. We were getting lots of um, uh, adoption, patient adoption, and people are really starting to get on board with it. And then it's just really escalated, obviously, since since COVID as well. You know, it's interesting because my business is essentially a telebusiness. I do a live virtual uh, virt uh, training business, personal training. I've been a trainer for over 21 years, but the last four years, 
I've been doing it and I can speak about my experience, but I want to hear about your experience with this. What is the feedback from people related to telehealth? Like, was there preconceived notions of that? This isn't as good as talking to somebody in person. And what has been their feedback after receiving telehealth and their thoughts about it after that? That's a great question. So it depends if, if we do it right as the business owners and as the doctors and as the companies, if we deliver telehealth in the right way with the proper expectation management, then patients love it, um, especially for mental health, because you don't really do a physical exam. Why do you need to be, you don't really need to be in person for um, the vast majority of mental health cases and it becomes an access to care issue. And they are just so, they are beside themselves with gratitude that they have the ability to get an appointment within a few days or within a week and, you know, and relatively cheap as opposed to waiting months to be seen in person and paying hundreds of dollars if they're, you know, or co-pays or, um, and then medication on top of that, the, the modern day telehealth subscription services um, for low acuity, low complexity, mental health, and now even chronic care management with like connected devices and wearables and um, technology, I think has, has allowed us to do more. But I feel like a lot of patients very quickly say, I cannot believe I've been going to the doctor my whole life for a refill on my asthma inhaler, <laughs> you know, or a birth control refill or topical steroids for poison ivy. It used to be a whole event where they'd have to take off work and they'd have to get their kids out of school and they had to miss their life for half a day and park and wait and waste time. Now we can do it within a matter of minutes to hours within the same business day, certainly. And um, patients love it if we do it right. You mentioned about if we do it right, how do you do it wrong? How do you do it wrong? It's a good question. So I think setting expectations is important. There are some things that we just can't do through telehealth right now. It doesn't mean that we can't, you know, we may never be able to do it, but the technology or the safety is just not there. I'll give you a great example. Um, Maybe delivering babies over telehealth is not the wisest thing right now, which sounds absurd, but um, for example, abdominal pain, evaluations for abdominal pain or evaluations after head injuries, or, uh, you know, these, some of these, some things really need to be managed in person. And sometimes historically, I think companies don't always do a great job of helping patients understand if they're too high risk or if they're not a good candidate. And it can be frustrating. It can result in stress and delay in them getting um, care. I, a lot of patients right now, they want COVID. Let's talk about COVID. A lot of people, they want to be treated at home and they want to delay going into the hospital and they're short of breath and they're struggling to breathe. And they say, just give me a steroid and inhaler. And, and, we have to say, I am so sorry, but I don't have the ability to know if it's safe for you to be home right now. And the only way to know if you need to be hospitalized is for you to go in because I, I don't have the equipment 
Um, and a lot of people are very frustrated by that, understandably so, right? It's it's scary. There's a lot of people who've died and um, hospitalization is a very intimidating thing, but um, certain things are just not well suited or best handled through telehealth. So I wonder where you think it's headed. You mentioned like maybe the technology is not there currently, but where does the technology need to go in order to fulfill a wider spectrum of telehealth services? That is a phenomenal question. So the technology needs to be able to be the, the ears and the hands, right? Because you have your eyes and you have your voice through telehealth, but you don't necessarily have your ears, right? You listening to hearts, listening to lungs, things like that. And, um, and your hands, what can you, because doctors do a lot with their hands. What can you touch? What do you feel? What is the blood pressure? What is the heart rate? What is the oxygen rate? Um, you know, what, what is that examination? A lot of things don't necessarily 100% require examination. You can get the, we say the patient will tell you if you take a good history, we call that history taking as a patient interview. And if you take a good history, a lot of times you'll be able to figure out what's wrong and how to help them. But in the instance where they need a physical exam, that's the piece that we're missing. So we need people to invent incredible technologies that have the capability to conceptualize how to be the ears and the hand and the hands um, and to an extent the eyes, right? With imaging studies, right? X-rays, ultrasounds. How do we incorporate that into the telehealth visit as well? So that um, we don't come to a point where the visit has to end or be referred away because we can't adequately take care of them. Hmm. Is there, tell me about, is there any pushback? What's the pushback from people about telehealth that you have seen just observationally or any uh, from colleagues, things of that nature? Sure. So I think that um, it depends on who you're talking to. So telehealth is, I mean, the truth of the matter is telehealth is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It's not just a fad and it's not going to go away when nobody's ever, you know, getting COVID anymore, um, which we could talk about, you know, is it endemic or is it pandemic? Right. You know, it depends who you ask the answer to that question. Um, I think there is a generation of physicians or certain types of physicians that are, that are probably not a good fit, right? Not everybody uses a smartphone, for example, not everybody uses social media, right? There's certainly generational differences and there has to be a willingness and an ability to be fast by with technology in order to be good with telemedicine. There is a belief in certain sectors of the industry that you can't effectively execute the doctor-patient relationship and you can't establish it and you can't execute it. And there are some people who believe that we're being reckless by treating patients online. Um, but truly the, the fact of the matter is that that's just inaccurate. Um, that's not an accurate belief and telemedicine is here to stay. And I think um, that generation of folks will 
um, you know, someday retire and, and move on. And that belief will dissolve. I think as the future generations of doctors are trained up and they're going through residency and they're going through medical school, I think that telemedicine will actually innately become a part of physician training and it will just be an option. It'll be a career option to be a virtualist, which is one of the words that we call ourselves as a virtualist. Um, and it will be a part of the training, um, from the laws, like the insurance company, a lot of insurance companies aren't reimbursing right now, which is, is ridiculous, too harsh of a word. I mean, I don't mean to be, you know, but I mean, you're talking about millions and billions of people that are seeking um, telemedicine encounters for the problems that they're having and they can't use their insurance for it. That's absurd and it's going to change, but that is pushback um, because people are paying for perfectly good insurance policies. They're not able to get their needs met, medical needs met in the brick and mortar sector all the time. There's a lot of challenges to getting in-person care and yet they have to pay out of pocket um, for these services. I will say a lot of employers, a lot of companies a lot of plans do have a service like Teladoc is a good example. Everybody knows of Teladoc. Um, sometimes they even use the word Teladoc to, to just be telehealth, like, you know, saying Xerox for all copy machines, you know? Um, and so it's somewhat of a household name and that's insurance based only, but I feel like we really have a long way to go. Um, and then we get a lot of pushback from the state legislators. I hate to say it, but telehealth laws are actually not federally mandated. They are state mandated because it's the state medical board that has governance over what doctors can do. So I'm licensed in 48 states. If you're listening to this and you're on the Alaska or Washington, D.C. medical board, like get with the program, waiting on you. Um, but I actually have to be aware of the state laws because there are some states that I can provide better care to and other states that I can't provide better care to because I'm restricted by what the state will allow me to do. And that's a form of pushback. And it's also an access to care issue. Idaho, um, New Hampshire, New Jersey just changed their law this week. Congratulations, New Jersey. Washington, D.C. Um, they have really strict laws. And because of it, their patients are having poor access to care through, through telehealth. Um, I think those are the major areas of pushback. If there's any that you have in mind, I'm happy to riff on that for a minute, but those are the big ones I see. I feel like so much of a lot of telework in general or the change to those things is just a lot of fear of change. And people in general have this inertia about change. So anytime you change something that has been the standard for a long time, people get very nervous. And even if it's a positive benefit and the thing they're doing may be negative, they'll still choose to do the negative thing because it's comfortable for yes. them, which is always a weird human condition. I always feel for that. But talk about like with the doctors, I mean, most people, well, a lot of people may know that doctors have a very difficult time even spending time with patients in person, would this allow doctors to spend more time with their patients or would it be a, just a more similar uh, practice? You know, if doctors seeing 30, 40 people in a day, spending five minutes, it's 10 minutes here. Would this help to alleviate that whole kind of flow pattern? 
maybe so it it depends because um a lot of companies actually have metrics and so it depends on what company you're working with and how you're providing their service these days a lot of states are doing um and a lot of companies are doing asynchronous telehealth and a lot of patients who are seeking telehealth are not really looking to spend a lot of time with their vet they're looking to get their prescription and get taken care of does that make sense but i don't think there are some companies and some businesses and some concierge directed consumer services where you get to spend a lot of time with your doctor and certainly mental health, you get to spend, you know, the same amount of time that you would in the real world. But I think the way that the industry is heading right now is actually away from lengthy, prolonged, intimate relationships and more towards um, rapid meeting of the patient's needs. A lot of patients, when they come to telehealth, they want what they need right now. And, you know, within sometimes within 20 or 30 minutes, you know, messaging, Hey, where's my medicine? My pharmacy doesn't have it. I really need what I need right now. I'm leaving to go on a trip. And so I feel like it inherently attracts the people who are less interested in that relationship and more interested in the, the prompt treatment. Yeah. And you would think that we have essentially Uberized most of our society. Yes. Transportation, food, and all these things. I mean, we obviously could argue the pros and cons of those things, but it would seem like you would want to make health, especially in visits, much better because it's generally something people don't want to do. People don't want to go to the hospital. They don't want to sit in a room with a bunch of other people waiting for a visit that's often not on time. Precisely. And then when they get there, who knows if the person or the, the physician is actually, what's their bedside manner? Do they, how are they presenting themselves? The whole thing. You would think you would want it to be better. But it, like the legislature thing, that bothers me, but I, I kind of get it because it's so much sludge all the time with that type of stuff, which I would imagine must be very frustrating for people in your position. Yeah. I mean, it's, I may, I may recount on my statement just a little bit and say, there is a niche for everyone, mm. right? So even though the vast majority of the industry is moving more towards the Uberized, that's a beautiful word. Cause I do think it's very accurate. This also, it is also an innovators world is an entrepreneur's game. And there are so many telemedicine companies. So, and it is much like using the internet where if I'm in the in town and I want to go see a doctor, I have to use what's around me. But if I'm online and I'm looking for a doctor, I have the whole country. I have the whole world really. And I will be able to find as a patient or as a consumer of telehealth, I will be able to find what I'm looking for if I know what I'm looking for and just how to use the internet to find it. So, um, I think it's beautiful because there's honestly an infinite number of ways to conduct these encounters and to get it done. And no matter what you're looking for, let's say you do want to have a doctor that you sit in front of a camera with and you talk to for an hour, no matter what it's about, because it is about the relationship to you. Um, you'll find it. You just have to look for it. It's a little less mainstream, but that stuff is out there. It really is. You know, when you talked about, I want to go back to like 
creating new technology for this. I mean, it's as much as a health conversation, it's also a technology conversation. Yes. And so I want to, we, we maybe didn't get to it, but like we talked about like imaging and different, I want to dive deeper in that. Is there, and, and talks that I've done about uh, working virtually, virtualists, I talk about like holographic technology, augmented reality. Do you see those things being a future part of telehealth and telemedicine? Oh, yes. Absolutely. 100%. If you can dream it, it's going to be a part of telehealth because this is a technology-driven industry. And I have several non-disclosure agreements that I've signed, so I can only tell you so much, but to, to, to chat with these founders, I work a lot consulting with early stage startups and helping these um, these founders and these entrepreneurs that have these incredible, like just out of this world, amazing, beautiful ideas, translate that into an actionable, um, you know, something that you can execute on telehealth company and the technology that's being developed and the ideas that are being generated are going to blow it out of the water. It's going to be incredible. You name it. I mean, 10, 15, 20 years from now, every single piece of technology that you can imagine, we're going to be using it. It's a pretty exciting future. I mean, as long as I think it helps people. And in the end, we're all in a business to help people and the larger aspect of health for that. What do you see the education of someone getting into this field? Do they, how do you see that? You talked about, oh, there'll be more education for it. What should that education look like in the future? for someone moving straight into telehealth work? That's a good question. So I, I feel like there is, it is, it's still important, I think. Um, and this may change, right? What I'm about to say may become an archaic mentality, but I'm gonna say it anyways. I, I feel like there is a tremendous value to still having brick and mortar hands-on uh, I, I'm still a hospitalist. I still work at a hospital. It's not very often, but I do. And, um, but I, but I feel like there, there's, there's always importance to having human to human patient contact where you're interpreting those labs and using those images and doing those physical exams because it keeps you sharp and you don't want your skills to get stagnant as a physician. But I do think that as people are going through their residency training, um, I feel like it would be important to actually have rotations in virtual health or especially in primary care where we see a lot of it um, is, is primary care, women's health, mental health, internal medicine, even pediatrics to an extent, although, you know, the kids don't communicate as well. So you do rely a little more heavily on physical exam and pediatrics, emergency medicine, urgent care. There's a huge component of telehealth to all of those specialties. And, and I think it will be behoove the future generations of doctors to be able to get training in that. Um, history taking is so important. And the, I think modern day medicine, if you talk to somebody who's maybe two or three generations behind me, they'll say, well, I remember back when we practiced OB with no ultrasounds, or I remember when we, you know, didn't have access to CT scanners and we had to do good exams of abdomens before we did surgery. And, and to an extent, we're really flexing those muscles, right? 
And it's really important to have really good history taking, understanding the boundaries of what is safe and responsible to treat through telehealth and maybe what isn't. Um, and by and large, a lot of companies will have SOPs and they'll tell doctors what they can and can't or should and shouldn't do is probably a better word to use. But um, I, I think education is going to be key in developing these future, you know, the future physician workforce through telehealth. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, edu I think if you don't have the education, you just basically have a lot of chaos and people operating and doing things um, kind of however they want to do it. It's kind of the wild, wild west. It's kind of the internet, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> the current version of the internet is like, hey, absolutely, do whatever you think and uh, we'll see about the consequences uh, related to that. Let's talk a little bit about remote work, essentially. I mean, you're working from home or wherever you would like to be. Talk a little bit about the personal um, aspects of that for you. How does this affected your life? And how do you see it affecting other people's lives as we move into a future that's more about telehealth? That's a great question. So, so for me, I personally went from full-time active duty army to full-time telehealth. And it has been a phenomenally positive change that I don't even have the words to tell you how amazing it is. I have four children under the age of eight. Um, my husband and I have been married for 10 years and have spent most all of it being separated, being apart, you know, not spending time as a family. And so I feel like, and the kids have been really tough. You hear about army brats and it's all true. They're strong, they're resilient. They're used to mom or dad being gone and, you know, and we get it. And I was leaving the military thinking my options were eight to 12 hour shifts, continuing to be out of the house for long periods of time and nothing really changing. But this has really allowed us to exercise our freedom to choose what we do and choose to be home, choose to get to be together. And um, it just allows so much flexibility. We can travel, we can go places and I can still work. Um, I can work from vacation. I can work in the morning before they wake up. I can work in the evening before they go to bed. You know, after they've gone to bed, I can attend field trips. And I, I feel like that I am more fully engaged and participating in my own life than I ever have been and ever dreamed I would be able to be. And I think this is an opportunity that it could afford to everyone, right? Any doctor, I'm not special. Anybody can do this. Um, you just have to be brave enough to kind of break up with big in-person medicine, you know, practice of medicine and like kind of be brave enough to take the plunge and maybe be willing to earn a little bit less at first while you're getting licenses and just learning how to do it. Cause just like any new skill, it takes time. It takes practice. Um, and it's not always intuitive, but I feel like anybody can do this. And I encourage everybody to try who's interested. I mean, I think that's great. I mean, I think in my practice and what I've done, I found it to be almost even more intimate in some ways. And I think that's counterintuitive to what people think. Think, oh, it's, you know, obviously a lot of people have had kind of Zoom meetings and all these things. But I think as you're conducting something one-on-one -on -one with somebody using this type of technology, there's actually no escape on some level with it. There's almost a more tuned in 
I don't know, maybe I'm crazy about this, but have you experienced something like that? Yeah, I mean, so the interesting thing is you do have this intimacy, but there's also a level of protection. You know, you still have that anonymity. Um, and I, I do feel like it allows patients to be a little bit more open and honest, especially yeah. in like the mental health visits, because um, they're not going to run into me at the grocery store, usually, right? You, you know, usually they're living somewhere else. They don't have to ever come back to see me again if it's a horrible experience. Whereas in the brick and mortar, like if that's your PCP, you're stuck unless you can get them to change it. Or if they go back to the clinic, they may see the same person. So um, I think there's an awareness that they don't ever have to see me again if it goes poorly, which I hope I hope it doesn't. Um, and they're not going to bump into me. I'm still anonymous. I don't know them. I don't know their family. They, you know, they don't have to worry about me you know, accidentally disclosing their information to someone else. And so I do feel like that layer of anonymity, um, allows people to be a little bit more vulnerable and willing to be more honest because some of those, um, I would say like perceived downsides to that in-person relationship aren't there. Yeah, I, I feel very similar on that. I, I think these are good points to make because as I mentioned before, people have skepticism about things they often don't have a lot of knowledge about. Or if they're very comfortable with something they've been doing, they'll just stay in it, even if it's just okay or not that great for that. And it is here to stay. I believe that it's here to stay. And I actually think it's gonna be a very large part of our future because I don't see humans going backwards. And thing. When do we ever do that in our history? That we just, unless some external force blows us backwards, yes. we don't tend to do that ourselves generally with just moving. We always move forward with technology and progression, you know? Exactly. It, it's not, it's not going to happen. I mean, you're right. They're the American consumer of digital healthcare. Now that they've had a taste of what it can be and how convenient it can be, we are going to, I, I am a consumer of telehealth too. I'll give you a great example. I have four kids, right? We've said that I have home strep testing kits. And a couple months ago, all four of my children got strep throat and I was able to test them at home, upload a picture of the positive strep test, which you can actually buy on Amazon. I recommend every parent have them. It's not worth it to take this stuff in. Oh. And I have a telehealth nurse practitioner that takes care of me. And I went onto the website, I uploaded a picture and I was able to get treatment for all four of my children. I would never, ever go back to hauling all four of those folks wearing masks, you know, into some clinic, you know, licking the walls and floors as they do. And then coming home with 35 other illnesses, just from being in the waiting room to get some amoxicillin to treat their strep throat. I, and, and I'm not alone. I'm just, a, I'm just a regular mom, right? Of a herd of kids and nobody is going to be willing to go back and go back. And nobody's going to do that. I agree with you. Like who goes back to like VHS, you know, or Blockbuster. You know, like nobody's going backwards. Yeah. We don't generally do that. I mean, it's like, so I think it's just really just the fear of change, you know, and how quickly, and I think also because technology is changing at a rate that's way more rapid than it was when I was growing up, 
that it can be, I, I get the fear on some level because it's like, once you start getting into one thing, it changes. When you update this version of this phone and this version of this technology, it can be overwhelming. You just want some level of stability yes. with that. But we're not going backwards. I mean, we're not going back to horse and buggies. I mean, some people have it, but it's a very small yeah. population of people. Agreed. You know, we may have throwbacks and retro records and stuff like that, you know, some vinyl, but it's not like the predominant form no. of listening. So it's, it's an, I always tell people, these things are inevitable. It's a matter of when you're going to embrace a certain technology for it. You couldn't be more right. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This is, but this is change, right? It's the adoption curve, right? It's and so you have, the, you know, you have the, what is it? Like the innovators and the early adopters and even yes, the laggards, the yep. <laughs> they eventually are forced by virtue of working in the system in which they exist. You eventually, everyone will eventually have to adopt or they'll have to get out, you know? You know, I saw the other day, Laura, was that, uh, I guess if you still have a Blackberry, I don't know who still has a Blackberry, but like, Basically, like last week, they basically turned off or the tech, it was like over. So if you still had one, like time to be done because the company was like, we're out of this. I mean, of course they were. It just, I can't even believe it was still around, honestly. You know, no. but that's where some of this stuff is going. You know, it's, and it's just a matter of, you know, with people's health, why wouldn't you want a better, easier, um, more affordable, more efficient version? of your healthcare, at least for this aspect of it. So Absolutely. do you have colleagues that are maybe fearful or resistant of these type of things? Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, all of my colleagues are, a lot of them are still in the military and they're entrenched in an old, archaic, rigid system, and they just have no idea. Um, yeah. There's a lot of naysayers. There's a lot of skepticism. And there are actually several of them that reach out to me and say, hey, tell me what you're doing. How do I get involved? I'm getting ready to leave. You know what? But there is a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of haters out there. There's a lot of, um, but I just, I agree with you. It's, it's from a lack of understanding, yeah. a lack of knowledge, and also from a place of fear, you know, just being afraid of, I'm going to yeah. lose my license or I'm going to go to jail or I'm going to get sued. I'm going to have malpractice, but the same principles apply. If you're acting in good faith and you're taking good care of your patients and you're being kind and you're not being deceptive and you're not committing Medicare fraud, you're yeah. going to be fine, you know? Yeah. And I think we've also seen that um, mental health services, um, mental health therapy, those things have exploded during the pandemic, virtual versions of that. It feels like it's this big trajectory going way up. And it's just, it's the avalanche that's coming. But where will you be? Were you be it safe cover or where you just be like that avalanche is coming i'm just gonna like wait it out you know <laughs> you ever, it's like that movie look up you ever seen that on netflix it just came out and it's all about like how like an asteroid's gonna like destroy the earth and these scientists <laughs> keep telling everybody it's coming and it's even in the sky they see it and everybody's like eh, it's not coming it's not coming it's like no 
this is coming. Telehealth is going to get huge and bigger. Yep. I think, as you said, it, it, you know, obviously there's room for uh, brick and mortar aspects, telehealth. Nobody's saying, hey, your VHS tapes. We're not saying that, but there are there is going to be a pretty large change. And I'm always trying to be on the forefront of stuff because I'm like, listen, I see it coming a mile away. I want to be in the beginning stages of this, <laughs> you know, and, and benefit yes. from it. Sounds like that's what you've you've done it. It's changed your life. Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. It has absolutely changed my life. And and not just me. I mean, I am I am not there are a lot of virtualists out there. There's a lot, there's a whole, there's thousands of doctors that are loving their new life in full-time telehealth. I've heard all the stories. I hear it all the time. And doctors are, um, I mean, I get, literally, I get Christmas cards from doctors who I've just taught how to get into telehealth. And they're so thankful <laughs> and they're so grateful that they send me Christmas cards. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and you know, what's really interesting, if I may touch on that is it is not a professionally isolating industry to be in at all. Just to let you know, we have a great camaraderie. I think the, the ones of us that do telehealth and the physicians network, a lot of them, a lot of us know each other and we, um, vacation together and we spend time together and we, you know, hang out and we go to events and conferences and we're excited to get to spend time together. And so, um, if there's anybody's listening, who's wondering, you know, are they going to sacrifice that collegial atmosphere? Absolutely not. It is such a fun, um, group of peers and colleagues to be involved in. Um, it's just, it is a wonderful atmosphere. I love that point of view because I also think too, I've heard that kind of negative connotation to it, but it also is personal accountability. If you want to have the collegial environment, you have to be willing to put effort out to meet people outside of being in a brick and mortar and use the internet, use all the communication devices. There's plenty of people out there that you can actually meet all over the world that are trying to do what you're doing or are doing it. And you can create a group together and share notes and stuff. It's really not that hard, honestly. It's not. I mean, a lot of social networking is done online now. And you can find people who are like you and who want to do what you're doing and who are doing what you're doing. I mean, that's the way it works, right? It's what social media is. And so it it applies to this too. And I, I think folks that are willing to give it a chance are have the ability, right? Personal accountability. Mm -hmm. If you kind of dig in and contribute just as much as you take away, it's a very satisfying, you know, you want to be an asset. You want to be the positive person. You want to be the go-getter. You want to be the one who's encouraging other people to get in there and giving advice if folks need it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So one last thing I started thinking about is what future jobs and healthcare do you see coming that aren't here now with this technology and telehealth? What, what may be created that we don't see now? Yeah, so I, I believe the way that the industry is heading is going to be finding a way for all of the specialists and subspecialists to also do their job through virtual health. Just as an example, could you imagine? And I don't know, I'm going to, I'll give a disclaimer. I have no idea if this is a thing. I don't know if anybody's dreaming of this. 
this and I haven't talked to any companies that have this in the works. So if you do, I promise, I don't know about it, but can you imagine doing robotic colonoscopies, right? Like maybe you're from your home and you're a gastroenterologist and you have a procedure room that is somewhere staffed by, you know, anesthesia, staffed by a nurse getting the vitals and all that, but maybe you're doing a colonoscopy with biopsies robotically from home. Wow. How cool would that be? be right. Yeah. Um, now I know, you know, people have to say, oh, you, you know, somebody's got to be on call, blah, blah, blah. What if an emergency happened? Sure. In a hospital, somebody's on call, code teams are established, but just think about technology like that, that could allow the specialists, like the surgeons, the OBs, the, um, I mean, radiology has been doing this for years. Radiology is right. probably like OG telehealth. They've been doing teleradiology probably first out of every specialty in the yeah. entire medical industry. And all the things they can do, you know, they can do emergencies, they can do stat, they can do everything. Teleradiology, it's just about the technology being, um, you know, good enough to enable it. But I envision specialists, proceduralists, you know, OBs, GIs, surgeons. I mean, think about things like, you know, dialysis, chemotherapy, um, studies, research. I think everything will be touching or, you know, overlapping or integrated into telehealth as technology is invented, that is then proven to be safe, proven to be a standard of care. It's got, you know, FDA approval, F, you know, all of those hurdles that have to jump through that the rest of telehealth hasn't really needed to do and undergo that sort of rigorous testing to get approval to do. I think we're going to see a lot more options for specialists, subspecialist researchers and things like that. Man, what a future. And not far off, by the way, either. It's not like back in the day where it's like, well, 30, 40 years from now, the innovation is so quick and so rapid that a lot of this can come to fruition in our lifetimes for it. Laura, thank you so much for spending some time with me and talking about something you seem to be very passionate about working in telehealth. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's a lot of fun. And thank you for having me. It's been great to be here. For sure. And tell everyone how they could connect with you or contact you. Absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way. Laura Purdy. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can send me a message. You can also send me an email, um, drlara at vcphysician.com. I'm happy. I love to chat to people. If you want to get involved in telehealth, if you have questions about where to start or you're confused or you need some referrals, I love making referrals and, and getting people connected with places where they can work and change their own lives too. Uh, reach out. I love it. I'd love to chat. That's awesome. I mean, another awesome guest, everyone here, Laura Ferdy, Dr. D's Social Network. Thanks for your time, Laura. Bye. Thank you.